You know, there are many promises that Jesus made, many promises that Jesus gave to his disciples. One of those promises uh, we don't recite often. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. Is that true? Yes. Yes. And that brings up the question, what is a Christian to do during times of great trials, troubles, and disappointments? This is no idle question because living in this sin-filled, fallen world, we will all have trials, troubles, and great disappointments. What are we to do when life does not go as planned? When our circumstances seem to spiral out of control? Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus would say to us, let not your hearts be troubled. And this is exactly what he said to his closest disciples when they were facing a tremendous trial and a profound disappointment. Jesus spoke to them to both comfort them and to strengthen them for what lie ahead for him and for them. In our text for today, we listen in as Jesus and 11 of his closest disciples are in an upper room in Jerusalem just hours before his planned arrest that will lead to his death later that day. And Jesus, in love for his disciples, is preparing them for what he knows is coming. But in the process of doing so, they are becoming increasingly troubled by what he is telling them. So if you have your Bibles, open up your text to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text. This is God's word to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. Jesus knew that the previous few days 
had been an emotional roller coaster for his disciples. Their fervent messianic hopes had reached an apex during the excitement of the triumphal entry, only to be dashed as Jesus warned them of his impending death. Now he has told them that he is going away and that they cannot follow him now. They're clearly very troubled by these statements from the one that they had expected to defeat their enemies and establish his kingdom upon the earth right then and there. Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew the hearts of his disciples. He knew that they were having a difficult time understanding what was going on, understanding what he was telling them, and how it would only get harder for them over the next few hours and next couple of days. So Jesus offers them a means of comfort for their troubled hearts and for ours as well. When we face difficult and troubling times, which we will. So Jesus gives them three cures for a troubled heart. He starts with this statement, believe in God, believe also in me. The first cure for a troubled heart is to believe in God the Father and in God the Son. God possesses infinite wisdom, goodness, and power. God knows what is best for his children. And remember, he has promised to work all things together for our good and for his glory. The disciples knew this from the Old Testament scriptures. God had proven his love and care for his chosen people over and over and over again. David, who had experienced a great deal of trials, trouble, and disappointment, wrote these words in Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? David's talking about his own soul. Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David had learned over and over and over again that hope in God is not misplaced, that God will come through for his people. But Jesus does not stop with reminding them to trust in God the Father. He also implores them to believe and trust in him, God the Son. Jesus had proven to them over and over that he cared for them and that he could be trusted to provide for them. He is simply reminding them of that fact. And we need to be reminded often, don't we? Because we so easily forget of the love of God, of the power of God, of the wisdom of God. We need to remember that as well. And we have even more reason to believe in the Son and to trust in Him because we live on this side of His completed work on the cross. We have seen that Jesus knew exactly what He was doing and what His death 
burial, and resurrection would accomplish for us. He has proven himself to be faithful to all of his promises to us so that we can and should believe in him and trust in him no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter what we face in this life. We can trust in him. And then he gives a second cure for a troubled heart. Knowing that we have a home in heaven. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus here wants his disciples to know that no matter what happens to them in this life, they have a home in heaven prepared for them by Jesus. Jesus, our elder brother, has gone before us to prepare a place for us so that where he is, there we will be also. Amen? Hallelujah. He who laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins, took that life up again, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven to prepare a place for us to be together with him forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. How is the knowledge of our home in heaven a cure for a troubled heart? Well, it helps us to keep the troubles of this life in their proper perspective. When we remember that this world is not our home, we're just passing through. We are on our way to eternal glory forever. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote about this truth. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And that's because the things that are on earth are temporary. They're temporal. Paul describes them as momentary light afflictions. Oh, but Pastor Steve, you don't don't know what I'm going through. It is not momentary. It is not light. Well, yes, it is. From an eternal perspective, our life is momentary, right? What's 100 years compared to a billion years? nothing. And light, yes, light, compared to what Christ suffered for us and compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Yes. And he goes on in verse 3 and 4 to say, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. So Paul agrees with Jesus, knowing that we have a home in heaven should comfort and strengthen us to face the trials we have on this earth. He also agrees with the third cure for a troubled heart, the fact that Jesus will come again for us. Look at verses 3 and 4 in our text. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Listen to this. Jesus will come again. And note the phrase he uses here. Will take you to myself. He doesn't just say, I will come again and take you to heaven. But I will take you to myself. There's an intimacy here. He loves us so very much that he wants us to be in his very presence and to live in his presence forever and ever and ever. Amen? So Jesus wants to comfort the hearts of his disciples because he is going to be leaving them. They are going to be facing trials and tribulations. And he wants to comfort them. And these same comforting truths should comfort us today as well. Jesus wants them to be comforted by knowing he will return to heaven. He will prepare a place for them. He will return and take them to be with him. And he reinforces this by saying, you know the way to where I am going. Now today, we understand exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. There's an old adage that says hindsight is 20-20, right? But they clearly did not understand what Jesus was saying. They were not tracking with what he was saying to them. And we know this because in the providence of God, Thomas, one of the disciples, reveals that they do not understand. Listen to what he says in response to Jesus. In verse 5, we read, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And we should be so grateful for Thomas's statement and question. We should be so grateful for that. They did not yet comprehend that Jesus would die as a sacrifice for their sins. He would be buried and he would rise again on the third day and he would ascend back into heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. They did not understand where he was going or how to get there themselves. So Jesus responds to Thomas. And he gives Thomas three profound statements of who he is and how to reach the place where he is going. And we can sum them up by saying, Jesus is the way. Now this is the sixth of Jesus' I am statements, each of which proclaims that he is God. And here that he is the only way to God. And then he restates it by saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. This statement by the Son of God is exactly the opposite of what those in the world tell us. They say that there are many paths to heaven. 
or that all religions leave to, lead to heaven and eternal life. But Jesus says exactly the opposite. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, is the only way to life after death. Many modern critics voice contempt for the exclusive claims of Christianity. They teach that we should be tolerant of all views, tolerant of all claims, except the view that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That can't be tolerated. And it will only get worse as time passes and our enemies are more emboldened by the cultural decline in the world. Despite the world's increasing disdain for Jesus' claims, it does not change the fact that they are true. Jesus came to this earth to become the way and the only way for sinners to be reconciled to God. Jesus came to this earth to be God's truth, to reveal God to us. Jesus came to this earth to be the source of life, of eternal life for all who believe and trust in him. So let's look at the three components of this, perhaps the second greatest verse or most well-known verse found in the New Testament. First, Jesus is the way. And that way is through reconciliation. The word or phrase, a way, supposes a path between two points, a starting point and an ending point. In this case, it is the way from man's total ruin in sin to the very household of a perfectly holy Heavenly Father. According to God, now note this, not according to Pastor Steve, but according to God, every human being is utterly ruined by sin and therefore justly condemned before God. Pastor Rob preached that message last Sunday, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's exactly what we read in Romans 3.23. That's God's estimation of our human condition. We are born dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins. We have indwelling sin in our being. And no one, no one, can enter into the presence of a holy God as a sinner. All are thus barred from entering the holy presence of God. So bad is our condition that there is nothing that we ourselves can do to reconcile ourselves to God. Nothing. No amount of works, no amount of religion, no amount of religious practices can pay the penalty for our sins. This is where Jesus enters into the equation. Only Jesus, the sinless Son of God, 
could atone for our sin through his death and thereby reconcile us to God. We spent quite a bit of time in Sunday school this morning looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross, how he became the spotless lamb of God who takes away our sins, how he suffered the full wrath of God that was due for our sins so that he could turn away the wrath of God for us, for all who believe and trust in him. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who had lived a perfect sinless life, took upon himself the sins of those he would save. And God poured his wrath out. God the Father poured his wrath out upon God the Son. And he suffered in our place. And God then credited us with the perfect righteousness of his Son. Amazing grace. Amen? His righteousness was credited to all who believe in him and trust in him for salvation. He is the only way to heaven, the only way to the Father. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. Reminds me of the song, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. So Jesus is the way to heaven, and that way is through the reconciliation that he provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is also the truth. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus reveals both the grace of God and the wrath of God to us. Jesus reveals the love of God and the justice of God to us. Remember, mankind is lost in darkness and ignorance of the truth. Again, this is exactly what God tells us. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, we read this description. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And if we're going to be honest... That describes us before Christ opened our eyes. We were blind to our own need for a Savior. We were blind to our own wretchedness in the sight of God. I mean, I, I thought I was a pretty good person. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't think I was perfect by any means, believe me. But if you'd asked me, when you die, we'll go to heaven. I would have said, of course. I'm not like a you know, slime ball type person, right? Of course I'm going to go to heaven. Right? Because we underestimate our own sinfulness. We underestimate the holiness of God. And we think he's going to let us into his presence as sinful human beings? No, I don't think so. We were blind. Ephesians 4.18, Paul 
describes it this way. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That was us, ignorant of the glory of God, ignorant of the only way to God. So Jesus had to reveal that to us. In order for anyone to be saved, we must be enlightened by the revelation of God's truth. And that truth is found in Jesus. The fullest expression of God's truth comes through Jesus. He is the truth because he is the supreme revelation of God to man. God has been revealing the truth about himself and his salvation ever since sin entered creation, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. But all of the previous revelations painted to, excuse me, pointed to Jesus and is fulfilled in him. This is exactly what the writer to the Hebrews wrote to us. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he writes these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Amen? Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment of the plan of God for the salvation of his people. Jesus reveals to us who God is. A.W. Pink in his commentary writes this, Truth is not found in a system of philosophy, but in a person. Christ is the truth. He reveals God and exposes man. In him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to know Jesus Christ. We need to know his word. We need to know God the Father by knowing God the Son. Jesus is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And make no mistake, Jesus is the life. And that life comes to us through regeneration. Apart from Christ, we are physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But God. Jesus came so that those who believe in him might have life and might have it abundantly. Amen? Jesus is the source of the eternal life that we need. John started his gospel by telling us that, quote, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Jesus later told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the source of spiritual life, the source of eternal life. There is no other. In John 3.36, Jesus told Nicodemus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There is no other way. There is no other way. All who believe in Jesus 
and come to him by faith, trusting in him for salvation, are born again spiritually, are given spiritual life, eternal life. They pass out of spiritual death into eternal spiritual life. And what a joy that is. Amen? Jesus is the life. I pray that you will remember John 14, 6. If you have not yet memorized this verse, you should. Because these are powerful truths that will carry us through our time on this planet. And these are powerful truths that we may have opportunities to share with others. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Make no mistake. We can only be saved from the wrath that is to come by believing in and trusting in Jesus because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We cannot make a way for ourselves. We must trust in Jesus and follow him. We cannot master all truth, but we can know the one who is truth and grow in his truth. We cannot achieve the life that the world seeks after and should not, but we can receive Jesus and the spiritual life that he gives. How can we know the way to heaven? How can we have eternal life with God? The way is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for these truths which are revealed to us because of your son. None of us would be in this room right now today if your son had not come down from heaven to earth, become a human being, lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to his father, and then laid down his life, providing a sacrifice for our sins. And then on the third day, raising from the dead in a glorified body and ascending back into heaven and taking his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of the Father. We are so blessed that you have revealed these things to us. And Father, we are so blessed to now enjoy the eternal life that comes through putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior. But Father, I know that there may be some here today that have not yet made that decision to trust in Christ. And I pray, Father God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Change their hearts, O God. Open their eyes to see your glory in the face of your Son. Give them the gift of saving faith. Draw them into a personal relationship with you. And we will rejoice. And we do rejoice. And we give you all the thanks and all the praise in Jesus' name.
Amen.